Welcome to Pet Sitter Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Today, we're brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. Today, we have Annalisa Burns, the pet detective, joining us again. She was previously on episode 417, and she talked about what to do with lost pets, and more importantly, how to prevent them and the educational aspects that we can bring to our clients. But today, Annalisa, I'm really excited to have you on to talk about what we can do with this as a service, what it means to be a pet detective, whether that's something we do full-time or an add-on service to our business, and what all that looks like. Because that's an, I, I know this is a service that I have never thought of adding before. We've talked about <laughs> nails and grooming and all sorts of things. So I'm really excited to dive into this. But for our, our new listeners, Annalisa, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about all that you do? Thank you so much for having me here. And I am so excited to talk about this. This is really one of my passions. I started in the industry um, when I adopted a rescue dog from an animal shelter. And she had some behavioral issues. She chewed up my favorite pair of flip-flops and also basically the entire house. So the behaviorist told me maybe she needed some a job to keep her active and, and occupied and build her confidence. I was a little skeptical and tried out a bunch of different careers with her and found this amazing, amazing opportunity to help find lost pets using a search dog. And I went through the training with her. She loved it. I loved it. And we loved working together as a team to help find missing pets using my search dog. And that was over 18 years ago. I know you, know, you mentioned the word, the, the industry there. And so what, what is the, the industry or really the landscape of pet search and rescue? Well, it's definitely a specialized service. Um, It's in very high demand, but there aren't enough people doing it, which is why I reached out to you and said, I really want to share this with your listeners. The demand is so high. I get called from every state in the U.S. and around the world, people begging for help looking for their lost pets. Now, the primary person that we look to who sort of led the way with training a search dog to find a missing pet instead of a missing person is Kat Albrecht. And she is an amazing author. You can read her books. I highly recommend them. And she tells about how she ended up using her search dog to find another lost search dog. And she got this idea, why don't we train search dogs to find lost pets? And she started offering training. And I took her second training. I think it was in June 2005. So it's there's a it's been around for a little while coming up on kind of you know 20ish years of this being being a thing and so the kind of searching that you're talking about is that is it specifically to doing searching with a dog or are there options for not doing the the dog search as well Absolutely there's both options my passion is working with the dogs because it's an amazing collaboration working as a team And I just honestly can't put it all into words because it's amazing when you train with your dog and teach them to alert in a particular way when they find something. And then the first time they do that and they communicate back to you, it's it's better than than anything you can imagine that that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment of working together. So I'm partial to working with the dogs, but there are also many ways that people can help 
with the lost pet problem in ways that don't involve training a dog. People may be listening to this and going, okay, well, Annalisa, like, what, what exactly do you do? What, what does this mean to this profession? Kind of what are, what is a, you know, d- daily things look like or kind of how do you work each day? That's a great question. And I want to mention that each state has its own laws about requirements to get to become a pet detective. Um, Some states have requirements that you need to be a licensed private investigator, which I am, and other states, you don't have to be a licensed private investigator, right? Uh, Jaw drop right there. Yeah. Yes. I always wanted to be a private eye. I mean, I got fedora and, and, you know, I'm kidding. (laughs) And the bloodhound is perfect for this work. (laughs) So, um, yes, so I'm a licensed private investigator and my my day is mostly looks like fielding calls and educating people about lost pets, their behavior and how to recover them. It can include doing phone consultations, email consultations, reviewing maps, satellite maps, marking maps with where techniques can be utilized, sending people examples and pictures of what we recommend. And then if somebody books me to go out in person in search, I drive to their location. I collect a scent article from their pet, like bedding, toy, an old collar. And I work my search dogs. I currently have... um, four search dogs, but usually I work two to three on a given case, one at a time. I give them scent and I see where the search dogs lead. And each one is trained differently and there's different ways to train your dogs, but that gives you um, the short version of what it looks like being a real life pet detective. You mentioned it. It it sounds like there's a lot of um, prep work, a lot of desk work, a lot of you said you know map reconnaissance and data gathering how how important is that to to the work that you do well it really is very critical to the work is knowing what search you're getting into making sure you really can help with the logistics so for example if someone hires you to look for a lost cat down in the grand canyon versus in downtown Los Angeles, it's two logistically different terrains and scenarios. And you want to make sure, can I really help with these particular cases? So the prep work is definitely an important part of that. And I want to add specifically for our uh, pet sitters and dog walkers, that prep stuff is nice as an option of work to do at downtimes or slow times because pets go missing all year round. And also, it's an option of something to hire someone else to do the back-end work. So those are some other opportunities for your business. Well, and it, there's there's a lot of different aspects of this. There's the, the admin work, the behind-the-desk work. Then there's actual field work. So it sounds like there's always something you know going, going on. There can be. There can be. Um, it depends on also the area, how populated the area is as to just logistically how many lost pets go missing in your sort of service radius. Given the kind of the variation and the kind of work that um, that, that you do, what kind of qualities of uh, at the personal level would be required to to go into something like this? Very similar qualities to what makes a good pet sitter and dog walker. 
um, being friendly, having strong communication skills, being able to keep your cool when a dog is barking at you, and being good with animals. All of those are good qualities to have. I would also add an attention to detail is important because those minor details like looking for evidence or if you're working with a search dog, watching the dog for their natural or trained alerts, those are really important. And of course, if you're working a dog, having some background in dog training is very beneficial. You started off by talking about being friendly and communication skills, <laughs> and and I was, you know, the, the given the kind of work that this is, kind of what's your interaction with the general general public and working with the client one on one? Right. Well, it's really important to communicate with our clients and get the details of their case, what they've been able to do so far what maybe they've had possible sightings where somebody saw their dog running down the street. We have to be able to um, gather all that information in to then decide what resources need to be deployed in a given case. Now, some cases can take it to an investigative side where you really do need a PI license. For example, theft cases or dispute cases where they need somebody to go and interview um, individuals who might be involved, do stakeouts. And if you're into that, that would be amazing. You totally can have that as a job if you want it. But if you are looking for something more helping locally with your community, more low-key, there's options for that too. Like, for example, checking the animal shelters for the missing pet. If you're looking for something to do online after hours, you can be looking on social media or Craigslist or online for for sale ads or found ads. So there's really a wide range of things you can you can do in that regard. Yeah, I mean, we're really really seeing this in the in the private detective world. I'm I'm getting the sense of right if somebody's watch gets stolen, you're going to go and you're going to check the pawn shop. You're going to go, you know, look for places where it's going to be offloaded or sold in second or third hand stores. Or because I wasn't even thinking honestly, Annalisa, of like oh dog theft. Like have you have you been called out on those kind of cases before? I have, and I've been called out on cases that started not as a theft, and then we realized it was a theft. So those are things to be aware of. But, you know, if you love to watch uh, TV mysteries like Old Fashioned Murder, She Wrote, or Modern Day Mysteries, and you're like, that would be such a cool job. That was me. I love those sorts of things. But I also love animals. And I never thought you could combine the two. So you really can. You can work a search dog or work with animals. There's also humane trapping, using wildlife cameras, all sorts of other surveillance techniques, and focusing on more the animal behavior side and, of course, the search dog side, but also looking for clues and and be your your own Nancy Drew. I mean, that's that's a side of this that I again I I just was not in thinking of it all because again when I think of lost pets I think doing sightings flyers setting out traps and and, well, and that's and that's the yeah. bulk of the work and that's yeah. really the most important part. Okay, yeah, because I, I can easily see how that's um you know I I guess and that's my own kind of misconceptions about this as well. Like there's a whole other world inside to this that may 
if you don't want to be setting out the traps or doing the late night stakeouts or those kind of things, there are other aspects that you can provide in this in this kind of service. Absolutely. And I want to add that the number one thing that the industry is is um, needing right now is more people who have a genuine heart of wanting to help animals and people to learn and educate others about how to keep pets safe and also what to do if they go missing. So the first part of it is even, you know, your dog walkers, your pet sitters, learning about pet recovery methods so that when a neighbor's pet goes missing, they can say, hey, make sure you put out neon posters. Flyers aren't big enough. Make sure you know that um, Hamilton County ends on our street. There's another county that picks up strays right across the road if your dog went across the road. So starting with that education, that's like the biggest thing that we need is just people to get informed and encourage people to search and find out about methods to use. And you can do that with, uh, I recommend missing animal response training with Kat Albrecht. She does that online and it's a course that you can sign in and take and really amazing information you can't get otherwhere, anywhere else. And then the second thing within that that is almost as high a demand is people to go out in person and offer an in-person service. So that's one reason why it's great for dog walkers and in-home pet sitters because they are already going out. They're already going to someone's house, let's say, on a schedule and walking the dog. They're out and about in a particular neighborhood. They can already be keeping an eye out for the dog, handing out a flyer to a neighbor they come across, or even put it in their schedule to be helping the pet owner with whatever tasks um, they decide that they want to offer and the pet owner needs. The list is really endless. I made a list um, uh, about 15 years ago, and I came up with 100 specific items that a person could do in a lost pet search. And I think that's the other aspect of this too, of going, there's there's always something to do and, and realizing what where do my strengths lie, where's my passion lie? Because right, if if we're running our I'm just gonna put this in some context of like I'm running a business, I'm 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 busy doing pet sitting visits, but if I have downtime, I could be checking Facebook Marketplace, I could be calling pounds, I could be calling other rescues in the area, I could be doing this kind of back end work that might not be the you know, the big, um, I'm going to say, you know, glamorous kind of stuff, right? That, that again, things like I didn't even think of, but that's incredibly helpful and beneficial to people. I mean, just here in our local area, we had a, 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 a lady who let out her dogs into the backyard and had no idea that the toddler had opened up the back gate and all three of the dogs ran out. And so for the course of four or five days, there was a big community search out helping them. And you know, there was one aspect of, okay, who's going to report sightings? Okay, who's documenting this? Where are we putting flyers? Who else did we contact? What else are we watching for? Um, but like the the other, I mean, the administrative side just gets so overwhelming. And for the client, for a particular person to try and do all of that, especially when it's in a, such an emotional thing for them, it's just a little bit we can take off of them. So it's not a burden. 100%. And it's not realistic. I'm going to say it again, not realistic to expect one person 
to successfully conduct a search and find their own pet without community help. It's just not possible. It takes a whole community, a whole team of people to come together unless you just happen to be, you know, you just luck out and your your dog is sitting across the street, you know, looking at you. But otherwise, you really do need help. And I want to drop a, a suggestion out there. There's things that as a pet sitter, a dog walker, you can do with very minimal effort and labor and time that dramatically helps in the search and recovery for someone's pet. Now, whether you charge for it or not, or it's volunteer, you know, it might be something you do as a service for the community. But consider this. If while you're out driving around from one gig to the next, one client to the next, or just going out to the pet store and getting dog food, whatever it might be, what if on the back of your car window, you had written with a removable uh, marker, you wrote lost black lab and the pet owner's phone number. So you're literally a driving billboard for the lost pet when you're out driving around the community and virtually no effort at all, but really, really helping. Right, because in that aspect, it is a, it is a community. And, and the biggest aspect of that is just getting people aware that there is a problem, aware of, because it's, it's, it's shocking the number of people who see these kind of pets. I mean, we've all been in a Facebook group and somebody said, hey, here's a lost dog or hey, who's seen this dog before? And there are 200 comments of like, oh, yeah, I saw him a week ago. Oh, yeah, he's over there. He's, he's right. like, oh, oh, yeah. But nobody asked, right? Nobody said, oh, this is a problem. So nobody speaks up unless they're a truly concerned citizen. And so it's it's surfacing that information and instead of having to go door knocking or instead of having to you know go pounding the pavement or whatever which we could do while we're out walking dogs as well <laughs> but yeah. also just thinking of those it's, it's, it's very passive but also it's it's active in the same sense exactly and witness development is the number one technique that gets pets back so whether that's billboards flyers um you know, talking to the neighbors, we prefer giant neon signs or writing on our car windows or even posting a sign on our, our front of our car windshield while our car's parked at the grocery store. We prefer big witness development to get the word out. And that is the number one way that most pets are recovered and returned home. And that's something that most small businesses can integrate into what they're already doing in their daily activities. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Doug from Bad to the Bone Pet Care has this to say. Time to Pet has made managing my team and clients so much easier. Our clients love the easy-to-use app and scheduling features, and our sitters love being able to have all of their information organized and easily accessible. My favorite feature is the instant messaging. By keeping conversations on Time to Pet, we are able to monitor our team and ensure nothing ever falls through the cracks. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessional. Now, I, I can tell you have a license in private detective because you used the word witness development. And I, I really, uh, uh, is that really just a, awareness or what else is involved in that process? That can inview, involve interviewing, but that can be everything from following up on leads. Like, for example, I think I saw the dog, but I'm not sure it was late at night going and talking to that person. Um, it could be doing an interview on local TV channel or the news channel, maybe radio. 
It could be putting an ad in a newspaper, a classified ad, getting an article written about the search effort in the local newspaper, anything that involves getting the word out, looking for witnesses, and developing those potential leads. Well, again, that's where that that communicative nature, the friendly aspect, the personal uh, touch where, you know, we all like to think we have that in our businesses. Now it's just being applied in a slightly different way of kind of being that that face of the problem at that point. Exactly. Pitching in and helping out. You, you brought up whether, you know, it's a service that we get paid for or we volunteer for. And I, I, I know that there are a lot of heads racing through right now with gears turning, listening to this, going, asking, you know, is it, is it okay to get paid for this? Isn't this a community volunteer aspect? So uh, Annalisa, I'd like for you to kind of walk us through that process and, and maybe how we decide what we ask to get paid for versus what we do as a volunteer basis for our community. Right. So I think the first question is how we feel about it. There's not a right and a wrong when it comes to this question. It, it depends on what you're comfortable with and what your logistics are. It's going to be different than my logistics and someone else. So on one end of it, you can decide this is going to be a public service, a volunteer effort. Maybe your business is really successful and you're not in need of an additional source of revenue. And you say, I'm going to offer for free to any of my clients. Maybe it's just for your clients. Maybe it's for a certain community that you want to advertise in. You offer this free service of writing on your car window about their lost pet for two weeks. And maybe you post their lost pet flyer with your business logo on your Facebook page and your website. Maybe it's a free uh, sort of um, community offering. That's wonderful. And we need so much more of that. I really encourage people to consider how they can adapt that into their business model that best serves their business and also their community because it is desperately needed. On the other side of things, if you want to find another stream of revenue for your business, this is an extremely beneficial service our community needs, and it also can provide a healthy stream of, of income also. Because it is a specialized service where someone comes to your house or the client's house and offers one-on-one -on -one communication coaching and actual search efforts for the pet. This is in such high demand. There are so many people who cannot, whether it's because of a physical disability, whether it's because of family, kids, work, they cannot search for their pets. And so providing the service of coming out and searching when they can't, I mean, it really, you can't, you can't put a price on it, but you have to cover your time, your time away from maybe another service you can provide and also your expenses, training and to stay in business. There is, and, and that is definitely uh, a, a hard thing to walk through. But in, you know, here in the, in the pet care business, a lot of us have already done a lot of this prep work in our hearts because we are so passionate about pets. A lot of us feel guilty for charging what we do to run our businesses. But at the end of the day, we realize 
we're helping people, but that doesn't mean I can't benefit or shouldn't be able to benefit as well for the service that we're providing, the professionalism that we bring, the training that we offer, the fact that they physically sometimes can't do this. It's just not in their not in their schedule. And you brought up a lot of reasons why that's not possible. That doesn't mean that they don't worry about it or it's not important to them. It's just their life prevents them from doing these things, doing the late night stakeouts and doing the you know driving around and everything involved. And so this really is is a lot in that same vein of going, okay, how like this if this is a passion of mine, what would that look like for me to charge for maybe not everything I do, right? I'm not going to charge them by the hour when I write the name on their on my back window. <laughs> it's not gonna, no, this is an hourly rate. Yeah. And after 72 hours, I erase it. It's a but find carving out those little things of okay, maybe like you said, when I show up at your door and I'm taking this on, that's that is a charge. Versus Absolutely. other other things that I can do in my downtime. Right. And people, it, it's just like having a specialty service. So I um, give the analogy of like a veterinarian that does house calls. And so, you know, you when you go to your vet, you expect you're going to have a vet visit, a cost of that. But then if the vet comes to your house, you know that it's going to be a higher cost because they're providing that service at your home and your pet, you and your pet don't have to leave. So it's the same thing here where we can offer off-site services or we can also go in person and charge for, you know, what we're doing there. And across the industry, some people decide to charge an hourly rate and some people charge a flat rate no matter how many hours or maybe for a certain set of hours, like a package. So this would really come back to your business plan, how your business is structured, how much revenue you're looking to generate from another service, um, and what skills and what fits with you. The most revenue is with if you have trained search dogs, and there's a huge demand for search dogs, and it breaks my heart when people call me from so many places, Chicago and um, St. Louis, and just they call from all over the U.S. saying, please, will you travel here and help me? And I'm like, no, I can't, tr- I can't travel there. It would be, you know, so expensive and so many days of searching. Isn't there anybody here who will help me with anything? They are so desperate and need help in their search. And to me to have to say there's nobody available, nobody that's trained or even trying to get trained in their area, it's really heartbreaking. So I'm, I'm reaching out to people and actually frankly, just begging them, please consider how you can offer this service, include this in your business, or maybe you know someone who is looking for a job and loves working with animals, but maybe pet sitting isn't quite right for them. Have them consider doing something like this. There really is a huge demand, whether it's volunteer or paid, all across the U.S., I did want to ask an additional follow-up about the, the charging. As far as rates go, uh, this is something that, again, I, I'm completely unfamiliar with, but I wouldn't even know where to start for, for charging an hourly rate. Let's, you know, I know you said that there's the most revenue, so it sounds like the most costly would be if you do have that trained search dog out there. Correct. What, what is that kind of difference between having a trained search dog out there versus us going out and offering boots on the ground service with, without? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'd love to give you some specifics. I'll say that this varies greatly depending on your geographical area and demand. So maybe rural area might be a lower rate versus an urban area might be a higher rate. And the same thing with, you know, how much training, what credentials the individual has. Um, in my experience, I would say most People charge between, if it's an hourly service, between $25 an hour and $300 an hour, which is a pretty broad range. Yeah. I would say most people are in the $50 to $100, $150 an hour range. And then for services with search dogs, that can run like $150, $175 an hour all the way up to a package, which might be a few thousand dollars. It's putting in a lot of that, that context is so important. And I appreciate you bringing that up too, of it's going to drive a lot of where, where you are, what you're, what you're actually offering. Cause again, like there's, it's everything from the all-inclusive I'm sure of like, yeah, we make the signs, we get this out. We have a team that puts it together with the admin and the dogs and everything all the way up, you know, to, well, I'm going to, I'll do some, phone calls and I could do some other this other stuff as well. Exactly. And I want to focus on coaching for a minute because yeah. there is a demand and need for that. And um, the, the current going rate is about $50 to $200 for a coaching service. So that, can, that usually is one hour of phone coaching, but sometimes it does include follow-up. So that gives you an idea if you wanted to provide more of the encouragement, work from home, um, do it, you know, here and there to bring in an extra stream of revenue, you would expect 50 to $200. What, what all is involved in, in that, in the phone coaching aspect? Well, first of all, it's obtaining the information from the person about the lost pet. Usually people have a questionnaire or they just do a phone interview to get details like, is this a chihuahua or a Great Dane that went missing? Is this pet, you know, did they give missing yesterday or a year ago? Getting the important details and asking questions of the pet owner like, what are you able to do? What has been working? What really has been a challenge for you in your search? And helping the pet owner sort of work through some of those issues. Um, and then looking at a map, looking at the picture of the pet, what the pet owner has done already. Like maybe they put out a flyer, but it has a really bad picture of the pet, like a black lab on a black sofa where you can't even see what it is. <laughs> Um, and then and then having conversation uh, with the person uh, with a strategic plan of action based on, we hope, some training and education versus I really want to caution people not to just make recommendations. This isn't something to be taken lightly or just because I read it on the Internet. We're talking about really studying animal behavior recovery methods and resources, and then making a strategic plan to give um, and recommendations to the person. Sometimes it involves giving them a satellite map back where certain techniques are marked where to do them. And again, like picture examples or even sending them links to resources or places where they can buy the supplies. When you talked about the strategic plan, that's where I started to think of, of like, okay, this is somebody who's calling 
and they maybe are doing this for a little bit and they're kind of at their wits end and they're needing someone to come alongside them and really, okay, systematically, let's work through this and come up with 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 an idea of how to move forward uh, and maybe have some tough conversations with them too. 100%. And if you think about it in the context of this is an industry that is um, co- that copied off of human search and rescue. Mm-hmm. So if you think in human search and rescue, we would, if there was a missing child, we wouldn't just go outside and scream for the kid. We, as you know, professionals, we would have a plan of doing yeah. a grid search, of do, using helicopters, of bringing out teams of volunteers, canvassing, you know, there would be, we would use every resource we possibly can. And in this industry, we apply those same principles when searching for a lost pet. What's the role in in technology during the search uh, as far as, uh, I may be getting a little bit of a head here, but like, you know, use of, of of drones and things like that in the search for pets these days. Oh my gosh! If anybody is into drones, that definitely is a great avenue, revenue avenue, and also a way you can help in your community. More and more people are using drones to search areas, clear areas for lost pets, especially in large farm areas where your pet can get great distances without obstacles and you physically can't, you know, search all that territory, but you can with a drone. So that's one great way. Also, wildlife cameras um, or motion sensor cameras, even security cameras um, can help generate a sighting or rule out an area where a pet is not. So those are definitely technologies that we're relying on more and more in helping to search for lost pets. And of course, there's all of the software things with um, searching for pets online and searching on social media and shelter websites and rescue websites. And the list is endless. You've mentioned a couple times now as far as like like depending on how well you're trained and and that this is something to be taken seriously and not just oh well I found a pet one time because I set out whatever whatever and that worked. Specifically on Elise, what what kind of training should somebody had have and and I guess my preamble to that is you started off by talking about some states require having a a detective license. How do I know if that's required for my state or not? Who do I talk to about that? It's pretty easy. Um, there's usually a licensing bureau in each state, and you just call them up and ask them. Say, I want to help people search for their lost pets. Do Am I required to have a PI license? And they will probably pause <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and might ask you to repeat the question. Uh-huh. Um, but whatever they say, you want to ask them to get it to you in writing. Can you get me an email that says, you know, and you want to be clear that you're talking about um, focusing on animal behavior and helping people with their lost pet search efforts. Um, and get that in writing if they say yes or no. If they say you do need a PI license, I encourage you to reach out to local private investigators because that's the easiest way to get your license is to work with them or reach out to me. I would love to have more private investigators across the U.S. helping to search for lost pets. 
So let's say we've gone through that way. We say we do or we don't. What additional training should we look into for this specifically? Well, I think pet sitters and dog walkers already have a really great, strong foundation. If someone doesn't have that foundation where they understand about um, uh, things like basic body language, basic animal behavior, you could take the same initial training as you would going into pet sitting. Now, to take it one step further, you do want to specialize in lost animal behavior and specifically techniques to recover missing pets. And there's uh, multiple resources out there. I highly recommend, as I mentioned, the books by Kat Albrecht, where she writes about uh, how to train your dog to find lost pets. She writes about her adventures looking for pets, and it has a lot of really great information about animal behavior and sort of her thought process. How did she develop the ideas to do these things, which is really from human search and rescue. So one of the things that you can do is get training in human search and rescue. There's books, online training, and in-person searching uh, uh, training for looking for missing people. And I guess it also all gets back to what we how what what, we, what services we want to offer, right? And I think because you know when you start talking about, I oh, got ahead of this, but like about the drones and stuff like that, like okay, well that's other maybe some licensing and other things that you may have to pursue down the line as well as these things develop. But really sitting and going, okay, where am I at right now? How can I help? What can I offer? Now what matches that? And then maybe grow from there or, or change and expand as we get that experience. Absolutely. When I first started out. I really didn't know what the majority of my business was going to be because it was the first time anything like this had been done. I started in San Diego, California, and I had like I did a, a business plan where I brainstormed just a whole list of what are things that my community might possibly need. Like where what is the need in my community? And I made a list and I wrote it all out and I put prices and I did my due diligence with figuring out how I was going to do this. Well, by the third or fourth case I worked, I realized that that was all whittled down to like three or four things were really needed in my community. And mm. those were the things that I chose to focus on. Now, I can still offer the other things on a case-by-case basis, but I know primarily what people need help with in my specific area. Our friends at Pet Perennials make it easy to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. They have this awesome direct-to-consumer gift model that takes the effort off of us and ensures a thoughtful, personalized sympathy gift to reach our client or employee on our behalf. All gift packages include handwritten card, colorful gift wrap, and shipping fees across the U.S. and Canada. They also offer an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards that can be sent to celebrate birthdays, extend get-well wishes, and welcome new and rescued pets. Additionally, there are gift choices in case you need to send a sympathy gift in memory of a special human client or celebrate a pregnancy, engagement, or wedding of a pet lover. If you're interested, register for a free Business Gift Perks account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices. Since the service is used on an as-need basis, there are no monthly or annual obligations or minimum purchases. Learn more at PetPerennials.com. That's perennials with two N's. Check out their business program or register for that free gift perks account by using the link in the show notes. Now, you put together the business plan and stuff because now I'm also thinking of 
marketing this and, and getting in front of people. And I know, you know, if you're getting calls from all across the country, that might not be such such an issue. But if I if I'm starting this right now, how do I get in front of people and and what kind of language and stuff should we consider using when marketing this instead of and not be I don't know, because I can feel like it'd be a very depressing thing to talk about for a lot of people. Well, you you bring up a really important point. The and I want to share with you the first time I went to a I can't remember it was some sort of pet conference rescue conference in Southern California, and I had a booth and I was handing out my business cards to everybody who was coming into the conference, and I will tell you it was a big dud. So don't do what I did, because the reality is. People don't want to hear about losing their pet before they've lost their pet. <laughs> so um, instead, what I recommend is connecting with people when they need the specific services. So that means connecting with the animal shelters, connecting with where people go when their pet goes missing. So that means online, social media, maybe the local pet stores, and maybe local rescue groups um, who people will reach out to and look for help. And remember human search and rescue? I get a lot of referrals because people will call human search and rescue looking for search dogs and they are told, no, we don't use our search dogs for pets. But I do know this person who has a search dog and they help. So that's the really important is you want to get in front of people when they need that particular service. But honestly, the demand is so high. And if you go on to a community Facebook page and post, my business is offering a free listing on our website for local lost pets, or we're posting on our Facebook page, or we're offering a free in our email newsletter will include your lost pet picture. If you put that on a couple Facebook pages, people will be sharing your business information without much hesitation <laughs> because yeah. they're, they're, the need is so high. And if people are offering, then pet owners with lost pets are, are desperate for resources. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that of, you know, Free off, free listing on a website or on a newsletter. Like I just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a lot of notes down on all this stuff because it's like, excellent. It's like we're, we're, we're if we are already doing newsletters, if we're already having a website that we're that we're updating and regularly in contact with and things like that, it's going okay. How else can I use this? How else? Because also for our our core business of we want to be a member of the community, we want to be doing these things, and so okay, I can maybe reshare something out on Facebook that I see. But what can I do? What can I take on in my responsibility? And then, like you just said, letting people know that that's an option because people go, where, if someone has lost pet, they're thinking, where do I put this information? Where can I go? Who who has another posting board? Who has another community board? Who has another email list? And if we can just offer that as something, as a connection point to that, it's it's a great way to start building those those relationships. Absolutely. And I will tell you, I want to uh, share a story about one of the first cases I worked. I mean, not first cases, but it was towards the beginning in San Diego when I opened my business and a veterinarian hired me because a dog had gone missing from her facility. Mm. And you would think that in, in 
a person's mind, you would go, wow, that vet was negligent or not knowing any details. You would just maybe jump to a conclusion. They did something wrong because how could a dog go missing from their their facility? Um, well, when I went around and did witness development and I told people this veterinarian had hired me to help find the lost pet, it actually got them clients. Because they people were so impressed that this veterinarian was no holds barred, going all out to find the missing animal. They understood accidents happen. Um, and it also um, showed them a level of, of compassion that they were surprised about. People were surprised that this veterinarian was searching so much for this lost pet. By the way... The pet got out because it turned out on the security cameras, uh, someone had broken in through the doggy door to steal drugs. No way. And let the dog out. Yes. So um, accidents happen. And uh, that's another good reason to have security cameras at your pet, pet care facility. <laughs> Wow, because yeah, oh wow, I just that what wild. <laughs> that's right? crazy. Yeah. So absolutely. And it's a great way to market a business. It's a great way to help the community. And we're all animal lovers. You, can, you don't do this unless you're an animal lover. And that's what I see as a big, a big common thread between what I do helping to find lost pets and people who provide veterinary care and pet care services like cat sitting. Um, you have to like pets to, to work with them. And I love, I love pets. We, we mentioned earlier about you know, technology use, drones, cameras, motion sensors, those things. What other kind of gear, equipment, software should we think about having on hand? Or do I just need to have a truck full of traps? Like what, how do I, (laughs) you know, what what do I know what to get for this? (laughs) Right. Well, one thing I want to point out is if you focus on searching for lost dogs, versus lost cats. You do have some similar equipment, some similar techniques, but then there's also some things that are quite different. And you can even specialize in searching for lost reptiles, birds, uh, pocket pets. The opportunities really are are unlimited. Um, Farm animals. I want to bring up farm animals for a second because um, in many parts of the U.S., we have lots of farm animals and they do go missing. And sometimes people need to hire someone to search for farm animals. Um, So that's also a possibility. Horses go missing, cattle go missing, sheep, goats, um, you name it. And, and somebody wants to find them (laughs) if they, if they get out of their, their barn or whatever. So um, anyway, um, the really any type of animal, but for the equipment that's necessary, the most important thing is is you as a human being, your time, your energy, and your communication, um, because that's really what people need versus a lot of equipment. Um, talking on the phone, giving a strategic plan of action, going to the shelter and checking the shelter, taking flyers to the nearest emergency vet. Um, you know, uh, 
putting out giant signs, looking under the deck with a flashlight. I'd say a flashlight is a must. <laughs> um, Check, I'm writing that down. Okay. <laughs> flashlight, absolutely. Um, signage is important for witness development. Um, but for cats, traps can be helpful, but you don't have to humane trap. A lot of times we will recommend to the client that they trap, maybe coach them on how to do it, but we won't actually physically do it. Um, the wildlife cameras are very helpful for both dog and cat cases, um, as are high-powered spotlights for searching at night. And then there's new technology like night vision equipment and heat sensors and all, you can really take it as far as you want to go. When I first started, I'll tell you this, I had a huge list of all the fun gear I got and I got everything. I got it. <laughs> I was so excited. And then I was working my cases and I was like, actually what I need is knee pads for crawling on the ground and searching. <laughs> so don't spend a lot of money at first before you actually get out there and do what you like doing. Now that's what I like doing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I love being in the woods and hiking and searching and solving mysteries. But if that's not for you, you know, that's okay. Um, but you want to make sure you have the right equipment for what you're actually doing. <laughs> right. So I, I'm going to take the uh, trench coat off of my Amazon shopping list <laughs> yeah. right now. Sorry. Just yes. a second. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 like you said, it is important to think through exactly what we want to offer, how we want to offer it. And, 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 and like with anything, not, just jump in and dump thousands of dollars into night vision and heat sensing equipment and drones and stuff. If that's you know, build, it's okay to build up to this. You don't have to come in with, you know, loaded to the gill with everything. And as I, I really appreciate how you said, you know, your time, your energy, your training, your thought process, that's, that's what is really going to make the difference with this at the end of the day. Now we can then implement some of some strategies that we develop with these tools but we've got to get to that point where we we are trained and ready for this. Absolutely. And encouraging people. The number one thing is that people give up too soon in the search for their lost pet. And so being a good cheerleader and encouraging people and telling them, um, you know, your pet wasn't found deceased. Your pet hasn't been beamed up by aliens. Your pet is out there and I'm here for this search. That goes a long way. As far as getting connected with other people doing this, is there a, a network to join, uh, conferences to, to attend, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I want to ask people to definitely reach out to me. I offer free consultations to talk to you about your business, about what you're interested in, and answer any questions you have about getting into this industry because it we need more people it, it, here. So you can reach out to me on my website, PetSearchAndRescue.com, and I offer, like I say, free consultations. I'll talk to you on the phone, answer your questions via email, or even do a Zoom with you at no charge and and see how I can help in helping you figure out what your next steps are. I also recommend um, Cat Albrecht's group. She has Missing Animal Response Network. And that is a network of people focused on lost pet recovery. 
they have training and they also have membership. They have monthly meetings and they also have Facebook pages where you can ask other people questions about cases and have resources. And if you go through their training, they also will list you um, on their Facebook page for consultations. And I think they pay $50 for an hour consultation and they actually send you the client referral. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on the, uh, the, they have a directory too, I think where, yes. where you get, where you get listed, where people can find you. And, and I was just scrolling on that. And I think the most listings there are in any one given state are like six or seven and that's people in any state. So that really does speak to what you're talking about here on Elisa of this really underserved massive need uh, for, um, for this kind of service. Thank you for pointing that out. Exactly. So when I, someone says to me, you know, who's in this place or that place? And I want to point out to you, some of those listings are people who only specialize in cats or dogs. Mm. So you have a lot of states where it might just be people helping search for lost cats and there's nobody searching for lost dogs. And some of those, if you actually click on them, you will see that they are like in Maine, but listed in South Carolina because there's nobody to help. Yeah, I, you mentioned that. I just clicked on our state. We live in Missouri, and I wanted to see connected because I wanted to start making some, uh, you know, some connections with people. Uh, the two people listed here, uh, one is in Maryland, and one is in Arkansas. So technically, there's nobody listed here in Missouri. So yeah, and that that gives me goosebumps and tears in my eyes at the same time because it's such an untapped market. It's such a high demand people and the animals that we can save. We can save them from being euthanized in shelters. We can save them from being hit by cars. There's so many ways that we can potentially help. And the demand is, is so high. Well, Annalisa, I really want to thank you for coming and talking to us about this really important topic and, and not just as a, as a way to expand our businesses, but really as a passion for people and just letting people know that that need is there. And importantly, there are trainings, there are things that we can do and be equipped with to help out in our local communities. But this is obviously a huge thing that you're extremely passionate about. So I know you mentioned your website, uh, petsearchandrescue.com. What other ways can people get connected with you and start um, having a, a deeper conversation about this? Thank you so much. Uh, yes. And also specifically for the dog aspect of it. So if people have a dog like my Lily, who was chewing apart the house, a dog who needs a job, this is a really fun scent work thing that they can do with purpose and help the community, whether it's just for fun, helping the neighbors, or whether it's doing something more serious with a business. Um, you can reach out to me on uh, Facebook, uh, Pet Search and Rescue. I also encourage people to give me a call. You can call me at 800-925-2410, anytime, day or night, 800-925-2410. And on my website, my phone number and email is also directly linked. And I want to say one other thing, because people, if you've listened this far into our interview and you go, yeah, I don't think my dog would do that. My dog's uh, getting up there in age or I have this, you know, dog that has this weird behavior or I have this client who has this, uh, I don't know, Doberman and I, I they're 
they would be great at this. You know, try to think outside the box because there are things that we can work with our dogs that and teach them to do that is beyond our imagination and is really something amazing. And it gives them such purpose and they love to do it. So don't disclude a pet. Talk to me first and um, see, because there's a lot of ways to work with animals and what they love to do naturally. Yeah, well, and I'm glad, again, I, you brought that up. I, I just immediately had, oh, we have a client that has retired. She retired her bloodhound from doing scent work. He was like a, you know, he did state championships and stuff like that. Also in our local area, we have the uh, National Barn Hunt Association where the, the, to train the dogs to go find the rats and barns and things like that. And like, what a great way to get connected with them to find other jobs and, and connections that they can make in the community as well. So finding those resources again, is is in making those connections is is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And one of our search dogs was actually a human search and rescue dropout. So it can be a second career. So if your dog needs a career change like the <laughs> bloodhound or like our search dog, this is an opportunity too. And I also am offering three conferences across the US in 2024. I'm really passionate about getting this out and in front of as many people as possible. So we're doing January in Tampa Bay, Florida. We're doing April in Los Angeles, California. And we're doing July in upstate New York. And these are weekend mini conferences to do training and also in-person training specifically with the search dogs for people who are interested. And that is on my website, PetSearchAndRescue.com. Awesome. Well, I will have links to that, your phone number and everything we've talked about too, Cat Albrecht's uh, information uh, and that that network in the show notes so people can get connected right to that uh, and start learning more about this. Annalisa, thank you so much for joining us again and covering this topic. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm so grateful and I appreciate your help getting the word out about the lost pet needs in our, our country. What is this in service to? It's a great question that we should always ask ourselves when we look to make changes in our business, whether that is in the services that we offer, the service radius, how we offer services, or anything along those lines. What is this in service to? When we think about offering a service as far as an animal pet detective, consider your skill sets. Consider where you are in your business. Do you have the capacity to take this on in addition to your pet sitting services? Is this something that you think you could mentally and emotionally handle when things get tough and they don't turn out the way we hope them to? This is a very personal kind of service, and it's a service where we interact with a lot of people, and those skills are incredibly important. As we look to the services that we can offer in our community, consider small ways that you can help contribute to the search of a lost pet. Everything from offering those free flyers that you may print out for your existing clients to a full-fledged private detective service for pets with heat vision goggles, night vision goggles, and drones flying overhead. However you choose to do this or not, make sure it's something that will work for you and that you can serve people in the best way possible. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. We want to thank today's sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Perennials, for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you for listening. 
Thank you so much. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll be back again soon.